Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, Now What?, was given by Bill Dogtrum on May 1st of 2011. Um, We are uh, in John chapter 20. Uh, We're taking a a bit of a break from our study on the kingdom in uh, the Gospel of Mark. John chapter 20, uh, we're picking up the story of resurrection a week later. So seven days after Easter Sunday, um, that's the text that we're in this morning. John chapter 20. If you need a Bible, we've got them on the sides. Anybody need one that doesn't have one? Um, You're welcome to... Yeah? No? Yes? Okay, good. Uh, You're free to take that too if you'd you'd like to uh, and use it throughout the course of the week. So we're we're picking this up. You've you've got the scenario... um, Friday, if you can imagine this, Friday was the worst day of these people's lives that, whose story we'll pick up this morning. Um, all of their hopes invested and built over the last two and a half, three years uh, died on that day. And it was, um, if, if you can imagine, on top of the loss of one who they had counted to be their deliverer, Uh, on top of that loss was now the realization that we're in the crosshairs of the authorities. We we are under uh, uh, under risk. We are, we are, we are, uh, you know, if you go into the post office in Jerusalem, there our pictures are uh, on on the wall. And And the problem was the crucifixion happened on a Friday. And it happened on a late Friday so that the, 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 the events tailed off into sunset, which began Sabbath. And on Sabbath, we can't leave. We can't get out of town because we're good Jewish uh, uh, men and women, and Sabbath is prohibited us from travel. So we're stuck here. And, and if you can imagine, add the, add the disappointment, the, the horror of watching a crucifixion, singularly the most violent public way a person could have died. The Romans had perfected a form of public execution to serve not just as a way of eliminating a person, but of shaming everybody who was associated with that person as a warning. They, they had... They had taken execution to a fine art. They had elevated it to that, to that level. So, so it was not just the fact that he had died, not just the fact that of the way that he had died, but of the message that his death sent to us. So you can imagine what's next for this, this group of, of, of men and women. They find themselves then stuck in this upper room where they had last spent time with Jesus uh, over the Sabbath, it just waiting. Every knock on the door was a was a, a, a you, you know you cause the adrenaline spike is is now the time. So as sun begins to come up, then on on Easter Sunday morning, what we now know as Easter Sunday morning, what they knew as the beginning of the work week, they are beginning to slip out in twos and threes, never as a group. That would draw attention, slipping out in twos and threes to get out of town as quickly as they can, except some of the women who are able to kind of fly under the radar screen and go to the tomb and, 
and, and do for Jesus what they, what they would do for a loved one, no family member except his mom uh, uh, doing this women's, women's work. Um, and they made their way, got to the tomb, and you know the story. They, angels, he's raised from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. The women come back, Peter and, Jan, uh, Peter and John, maybe among the only two or three left, in the upper room, make their way to the tomb and and discover, in fact, that it is empty. They don't know why it's empty. They vaguely remember Jesus saying something about rising from the dead, but that kind of went over the top of their head like everything else he said. Um, Remember, if you have an expectation of something, you will not hear anything that doesn't fit your expectation. So his death, his resurrection just simply didn't fit what they expected to happen. So they were deaf to that, right? So now it's just beginning to come back. How does this make sense? What in the world's going on? So they get a few guys together, and here they are in the upper room then on on the first day of the week. And this is when uh, we, we pick up this story, verse 19. This has happened seven days ago. When it was evening on that day, chapter 20, Gospel of John, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We're going to keep on going into verse 24 here in a minute, but just to set the frame. So here we are. We're we're in panic mode. The door's locked, right? And Jesus steps through the curtain that he sees, but they don't see. He steps from a reality in which he exists and the spiritual reality into the material reality in which they exist. It is not that he, and this is the point that John is trying to say to us about the doors being locked. There's no way for him to enter the room except that he is already there, but they don't perceive him to be there. You with me? So he, he like the angels in Luke chapter 2, when the joy to the world, all that good stuff, right? He, he just shows up. He becomes apparent to them, even though he, a moment ago, was still in the room, but not present to them. This is going to become an important theme here as as we go go through this, because what resurrection does is make the point that there is no place the disciples of Jesus are that Jesus isn't. He is present with them, whether they perceive him or not. And this is going to be important as as we go through this. And, and as, as, as he does this, he, he, he says, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Gospel of John, um, back up, the Gospel of Luke, or excuse me, the Gospel of Mark, where we have been, uh, talks about the coming of Jesus as the, as the inauguration of the kingdom, right? That's kind of the main theme of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of John has a little bit different take on this, he portrays Jesus uh, not just as the coming king, but as the one who comes to breathe, to baptize, to immerse people in the spirit. 
He does this because he is writing his gospel as parallel to the book of Genesis. Remember how human beings came to be in the first place. John, Genesis chapter 2, God takes a lump of clay, breathes into it the breath of life, and that living soul then emerges as this unique combination of dust and deity, material and spiritual. And so the human being, the living soul, is ideally constructed to live in that dual reality, in the thin space between material and spiritual realities. We've talked about this, this before. So Genesis starts this. Um, what ends up happening over the history of humankind is that we find ways to bifurcate, to, to separate spiritual realities from material realities. And because the material appears to us to be more real, we attend to it more closely. And the spiritual reality is viewed as kind of icing on the cake or, 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 or a, 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 you know, an additive to a, a material existence. So when Jesus comes, John says, he is coming as the Word, and notice how John's Gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say that things came into being as a result of the Word's speaking. God said, Word, let there be, and there was. So John is deliberately paralleling those two things. Anybody bored yet? You're doing all right? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah I know. I, I'm, I'm working on it. Give me a, give, I'm, I'm, I'm trying really, really hard. This is going to be important in a minute, so bear with me. Okay? Pray for me. Pray for me. Okay. Um, so, so as we go through this, uh, Jesus then is seen in the Gospel of John as one who breathes the Holy Spirit, like his Father did for us, on this lump of clay, which is the church, and enlivens it to function in the role that God has sent it to, to, to do. So John says, I baptize you in water, but there is one coming who will baptize you, who will immerse you in the Spirit so that you can live the life of the Spirit the way God built you to live it in the first place. So when Jesus shows up on the day of resurrection, it is natural for him in the Gospel of John to say, breathe, breathe on them, receive the Holy Spirit because now they are sent into the world to do in the power of the Spirit the same thing that Jesus came in the first place in the power of the Spirit to do, okay? So that's last week. Now we pick it up in verse 24. Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails, my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have come to believe. Can you imagine what it was like to have missed the resurrection? To have been the guy in which everything happens to everybody else. Anybody know what this feels like? You, you, you just come, you're a day late, you're a dollar short, you're at the train station and the, and the boat pulls in. I mean, you're, 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 you're trying to sort out how, and, and, and if there's any disciple of whom this should be true, it's Thomas. He's the guy that is, is just kind of there, kind of, uh, he only shows up three times in the Gospel of John. And every time, you, you just, he's the Eeyore of, of the disciples. <laughs> Right? Because here we are, three times. John chapter 11, Lazarus, Jesus' best friend, is dying. Right? Word comes to him, you know, hurry up. You can get back in time to, to heal him. And Jesus um, is, you know, he's on vacation time. Maybe the timeshare extends for another couple of days. He doesn't want to leave. We don't know what's going on. But he doesn't leave his, his, his recreation. Jesus knows how to R&R. Right? And, and whether it's at the river uh, or at the beach, Jesus is, is... So two more days, he wants to make sure Lazarus is good and dead. And, 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 and then he says, because remember, they're, they're there because Jesus has been threatened. His life is at, at risk. And with him, all those disciples are also at risk. So they've escaped the, the magnifying glass of Jerusalem. They are on the far side. They're out of the country. And so uh, safe, relatively speaking, right? And Jesus is there, gets message, Lazarus. So Jesus, after two days, says, all right, now it's time to go. And every one of the disciples says what? You're nuts. What do you think you're doing? They're going to kill you. Let's just stay here where it's safe. People can come to us. We don't have to go to them. Just real logical, right? These guys have got it nailed. They know what's going on. And Jesus just says, well, you, you guys can stay here if you want, but I'm going. And Thomas is the one that says, well, we might as well just go and die with him. Right? That's Thomas. It, it's just, I, I get it. I know what's going on. It's like, okay, well, I, I'm in. Uh, you know, get, get measured for the suit. I'm, I'm ready to go. And he, he just does that. So that's time number one. Time number, and by the way, he's the guy that cocks the rest of them into into following along, right? Time number two, uh, upper room. Only uh, uh, five or six days before, seven days before, Jesus is just pouring out his heart. He knows what's going on, even though the other guys don't know. John chapter 13, he washes their feet. He invites them into the fellowship of the servant. He is inviting them into this passionate moment, the passion of the Christ, if you will, right? He's praying for them, all of this rich, rich stuff going on. And then we get into chapter 14, and he uses the language of the bridegroom that many of these men would have spoken themselves to their beloved uh, before they became husband and wife. So typically, uh, a, a person would become engaged or betrothed and then would go away and prepare a place for his wife, would come again and receive her and take her to his father's house in which there were many, uh, many rooms, one of which he had prepared for her. You hear the echoes, right, of what Jesus is saying. In my father's house are many mansions. Don't, be, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it 
be dismayed. If I, I'll go to my father's house, I'll prepare a place for you. If I go to my father's house, prepare, I will come again. I will receive you to myself. So, so they're, they're getting this image of Jesus as kind of the bridegroom who's going to prepare a place, is going to come and receive them. And you can just see them starting to kind of melt with, the, with this realization that he's going to go away, but he's going to come back. What in the world is going on? And, and, and then he, Jesus says, you know the way I'm going, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, uh, excuse me, excuse me, teacher, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. Right? And as a, I mean, I love Thomas because he's saying what everybody else in the room is thinking. What's he talking about? Peter, do you know what he's talking about? I never know what he's talking about. John, you're the, you're the one he loves. What's he talking about? I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Thomas, what are you talking about, right? And as a result of that chaos and confusion in Thomas's mind, Jesus says a verse that you probably have quoted. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Persons come to the Father through me. If Thomas hadn't asked that question, you wouldn't have that memory verse, right? So Thomas number two. Right? You see why I'm going with this Eeyore thing, right? So here he comes in. Now Jesus has come back from the dead, and Thomas missed the memo. He's not there. Maybe he's out, you know, uh, scoping out the landscape. Maybe he's on watch, watching for the, maybe he's at, at Vaughn's picking up stuff for dinner. I, we don't know what, there's no, but what excuse would be good enough for missing the resurrection, right? How, how could this happen? He shows up. And these guys are talking about Jesus is just having, you just missed him. And he's saying, what have you guys been drinking? Did somebody's, mushrooms maybe? What, what, how are you seeing things that are not possible to see? Here's the deal, guys. If I don't see him with my own eyes, if I don't put my fingers, if I don't put my, I'm not going to believe. You guys believe whatever you want. I tried to tell you over and over and over again. Didn't I tell you that hope was going to get us to this place? That, 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 that something was sideways? I told you. I told you a lot of times, didn't I? Didn't I? And, you, and, and here we are. And now you're making stuff up. Come on. Right? So they live in the tension of this for a week. Remember, Jesus only shows up one, two, three times in the Gospel of John. First time, Thomas isn't there. Second time, we pick it up in verse 24. Now, same room, doors locked, right? And now Jesus, once again, steps through the curtain separating spiritual and material reality and becomes visibly present to them. He is present anyway, but now they can see him. And I love what happens next. Look at this. Verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. Wait a minute. To whom did Thomas say that? He said it to the disciples a week earlier. Who heard him say it? The risen Lord, who was as present in the room, whether he could be seen or not. This is why the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus, he will never leave you. 
He will never forsake you. The power of the resurrection means you are never alone again, ever. Now, are you perceiving that or not? As it turns out, it doesn't matter whether you perceive reality or not. It's still real. You, you with me? This is, a, this is a critical, critical, critical thing for us because we are people who love to see. Yes? We are people who, and, and whether it's seeing with our eyes or seeing with our emotions, we want to be stirred, we want to feel something as an affirmation, as a confirmation of reality. The truth is reality is such as it is, whether you perceive it as such or not. And this is what, 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 what John is inviting us into with this third story of Thomas. Blessed are you, he says. Who, who, I mean, Thomas, you have seen, excuse me, you have seen and now you believe? Blessed are those who have not seen with their physical eyes, but still stand solidly in that same reality of resurrection life. Now, John writes his gospel at the end of the first century. And in that, he is dealing with, an, he didn't write it to fix stuff that the other three guys didn't get right. He's writing his gospel because a problem has begun to emerge in the churches that is going to flourish in the next 50 or 60 years. And John and Paul both see this very, very clearly and write um, Paul, 1 Corinthians, uh, and, and Colossians, and John, all of his stuff. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, and the gospel of John are all written because John sees the church beginning to be torn and fragmented by something called Gnosticism. We've talked about that briefly before. I don't want to bore you any more than I already have, but it's really important that you get this. Gnosticism is a philosophical religious system that arises in Persia about 400 years B.C. that begins with a, a, a development of secret knowledge, gnosis, knowledge, to know, that says the material realm and the spiritual realm are different. They are not the same. And that the spiritual realm ultimately is a positive, life-giving realm, and the physical realm is a negative, death-dealing realm. So the goal is to transcend the material world, the physical world, by means of increased knowledge passwords, secret knowledge that enables you to move from the material to the spiritual until finally you, your material is irrelevant and you are absorbed into the wonder of the spiritual universe because that's real and this isn't. You with me? This gets taken over uh, when Alexander uh, the Great conquers the world and becomes part of Hellenism. Uh, you, you hear the tension of platonic dualism in here. Uh, that, that begins to develop and is that goes through and intersects and hits up against the church, now we've got a problem. Because the church has believed from Genesis chapter 2 that we are people built to live in the thin space between material and spiritual, that both are valuable, both are good, both are the creation of God. 
that one is derived from the other, but that doesn't obviate the other. Does that, does that make sense? So, so here we're invited into this, into this reality, and, 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 and John is seeing the church start to, 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 to drink the Kool-Aid, you know, because the teaching is such that the spiritual realm, spiritual realm, I'm, spiritual's over here, right? Yeah, spiritual realm is positive and good and wonderful, and material realm is evil and uh, negative and death-dealing. So we have to find ways to eliminate the influence of the material and accentuate the spiritual, right? Because, and we've already talked about it, two primary ways of Gnosticism. The first one was an extreme asceticism. Because the body was evil, because material was evil, we have to deny it at every possible point. So extreme fasting, uh, abuse of the body, all, all kinds of other things as a way of, 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 of dealing essentially death to it so that we can move into the spiritual realm. That was not a very popular way. The, by far the more popular way uh, was, was an extreme licentiousness. Because if the body doesn't matter, if only the spirit matters, then I can do whatever I want in the body and it doesn't affect anything in the spirit. You with me? So, so over here, I can sleep around, I can get drunk, I can do uh, all, kinds of, all, all kinds of things in the body, and it doesn't matter as long as I have a spiritual uh, reality. Then, then I'm fine because, because that's all I really need. Do you see? Well, what happens when, the, and by the way, you see this start to show up in, uh, anybody recognize the name Dan Brown, uh, Da Vinci Code? That's what John is writing against. The belief in the Gnostic gospel, or the gospel of Judas a couple hundred years later from, from, from that. The, the church did not vote as a power struggle to, to, to eliminate certain gospels what they were dealing with was people who were being misled and led astray in significantly soul-damaging ways by false beliefs that were never part of the gospel to begin with. They didn't think they had to write anything down initially because they expected Jesus to come back immediately. But as we go on a couple hundred years later, people are starting to believe wacko stuff. And, and John and others uh, uh, are writing to, to, to address that. So you can, by the way, how many of you know we still deal with Gnosticism today? It's huge. That's what, every time you hear somebody says, I'm spiritual but not religious, you're hearing Gnosticism. Anybody, anytime you, I, I got a great relationship with the Lord and I'm sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. That's Gnosticism. Because what it's saying is, I can do anything I want physically and it doesn't affect my spirituality. That's Christian Gnosticism. Do you see what happens? So, so, so we can be in an environment of love and worship and adoration. He is, so, he is Lord, King of Kings, and then, and then do whatever we want the rest of the week because we're good to go. The most popular form of this is Oprah spirituality, right? The secret. The secret is another word for knowledge. If you just get the right secret, if you speak the right things to the universe, right? then things will flow to you. And, and, and Jesus is saying, uh, time out. Uh, put, your, put, your, put your finger through the hole. Put your hand in, the, in my side. There is no division 
a value between material and spiritual. Because John understands that when you bifurcate those things, what gets lost is incarnation. Because if, if material is bad, you can't have a God assuming a material body. And if the incarnation gets lost, the crucifixion is lost. And if the crucifixion is lost, the resurrection is lost. And if the resurrection is lost, the gospel is lost. So John's gospel is written to push back against Gnosticism. You with me? So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Down verse 14, the Word, the creative agency of the universe, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw with our own eyes His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father. And this story here in Thomas's, Thomas's encounter, Thomas is, is our help to recognize the emptiness of a Gnostic gospel, that we serve a risen Christ, not just spiritually risen, but literally physically written, risen. The nature of his physical body after resurrection is different than the nature of his body before resurrection. It can appear and disappear in the material realm, but it still has substance. In fact, in, in Luke's gospel, they are so concerned about this issue that Jesus has to eat because ghosts don't eat. So in Luke's gospel, like he does every other time, he, he, he wants to eat. Luke is the gospel of Jesus eating. True. He's either going someplace or coming from someplace. Sometimes, even on his way to the cross in, in Jericho one day, uh, he pulled the guy out of a tree so he could go have lunch. True story. You have to read it. Luke 19. Anyway, so, so after the resurrection, Jesus shows up. You, you think I'm making this up, don't you? No, I'm not, really. Um, uh, 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 you have a piece of fish, he says. Apparently, you like seafood. Um, so, he has that. Here, in this case, it's put your finger, put your hand. What's the point of this? Isn't it, is it just a cute little story to, wow, isn't that interesting? No, it's an invitation into a certain kind of reality. Because here's the truth. You know the secret of human existence. And it's not a big secret. It's not spiritual knowledge. It's just an invitation to resurrection life. An invitation that the people that you work with, the people you live with, the people in your neighborhood need to hear because they're not aware of the way these things connect. And you are. You're invited then to be, this is why he breathes on us and sends us out in the power of the Spirit to invite people into that resurrection life. And as we, as we come to conclusion this morning, I want to invite you into that kind of life as well. Because the truth is, in this story, we're again reminded there's no place you are that Jesus isn't that he is present with you. Whether we perceive him or not, he is present. You are never alone. So live like it. If Jesus is raised from the dead, 
such that he is present with you in all of the stuff of your life, live like that because it's true. We're invited into this. Maybe as we come to conclusion this morning, some of you are, 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 are struggling to keep these apart because you realize the implications of this on this. Jesus wants to pull them together and invite you to live in the material world in the power of the Spirit. He wants to empower you for that. And it could be that you, having made that connection, need to be empowered to live that way in the world that you live in. As you go to school, as you, as you stand in front of a classroom of students, as you, as you uh, take notes, whatever it is that you are doing, do so in the power of the Spirit because people that you live with, people that you walk with, need to know there's more to life than life. And we're invited into it. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege um, that you have invited us into, uh, to this kind of life. It's just uh, uh, stunning in in the audacity, the wonder, the the amazement of it um, to, to, like Thomas, recognize there's more at work here than meets the eye, uh, that you are our Lord and our Master our King, our Savior. So, Lord, I pray as we transition into response that you will speak to us, those of us maybe who are pulling apart material and spiritual and recognizing now this morning the need to pull those together again. And at the same time, Lord, recognizing we live and serve in a world that needs the reminder embodied in us uh, that they are more than body, that they have an eternal destiny, and that what they do really matters. Perhaps, Lord, there are some who just need to be reminded that you never leave them, you never forsake them, that you are present in strength with them, whether they perceive it or not. You are present. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.